Moses has reviewed Israel's history with the Lord in their wilderness wandering. He has elaborated on the law of God, expanded the law of God for a greater understanding for the next generation on the east side of the Jordan River. And now the children of God are going to move into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua and go do what God's called them to do, what they're destined to do with the Lord as a, as a nation. And so that next generation's arising. Moses has given them the insights of the law. And now he's t- talking about the future. And he's talking about the blessings for their good decisions and the curses for their bad decisions. And with that backdrop, we come to chapter 29 and we start here tonight in Deuteronomy. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. So again, it's an expanding of the law. Now, Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all of his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to the place where Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it to the inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. So here's just a little reminder again of how God had been with them, that he's concluded reading the law to them, he's concluded expanding the law of God to them, and it's there for them. It is interesting that God says that, he says that the Lord has not yet given you a heart to perceive these things, and this this brings us to that thought, where to him who has more will be given, and even to him who doesn't have, they'll lose what they have. And we know that we see this with Israel a lot, that there is more that God wanted to show them, but because they didn't receive what was in front of them in the first place, he didn't give them more. And this is even so in the New Testament. So this transcends the covenants, even to the church age. Super important that we have ears to hear because Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, or she who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And we just want to always be keen to hear the voice of the Lord. It's critical to obey it because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they obey it. And we see right here this little insight that you can miss it as you're just plowing through it tonight on Tuesday night, but we don't want to miss it. He says, the Lord has not yet given you really the eyes to see or the ears to hear. And the reason he hadn't is because they weren't willing. They weren't willing. That's really the bottom line. And we're going to see more of this as we go forward. So even in this next generation, they're going to do great things, but they're going to... Well, in one generation, there'll arise a generation that knows not the word of the Lord, and everyone's going to do what's right in their own eyes. I just think it's really important for us in 2021, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that we have ears to hear and eyes to see, and that we're willing to hear what the Lord's showing us, willing to hear what the Lord is speaking to us, and our eyes are willing to see what the Lord wants to show us, because we'll receive it and we'll act on it in obedience to what he wants to do. Verse 10, all of you stand before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws water, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God, into his oath, 
which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you, and just as he has spoken to you, and just as he had sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord your God, our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone, silver and gold, so that there may not be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness of wormwood, and so it does not happen when he hears the word of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my own heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. That is a profound statement right there. Think about what that's saying here, what the Lord is saying. He's warning them against rejecting his law and being in the covenant, being people of covenant. So saying they're people of covenant and rejecting God's law and then justifying themselves in their own mind and being deceived in their mind. So we're not talking about worldly people being deceived with their idolatries and their false religions and false philosophies and false worldviews. We are talking about here contextually the people of covenant Israel, someone who's been circumcised on the eighth day, someone who goes to Shabbat, you know, celebrates the Sabbath, someone who goes to the synagogue in the time of Christ. We're talking about someone like that who is a people of the covenant, and they reject God's law. Or maybe they just kind of, well, there were warned in Deuteronomy not to add to it or take from it. And there's no shortage of people in Jesus' name who add from, to the word or take from it or twist it. We understand that. So it's such a powerful warning from Moses, the Lord through Moses, to the future generation. You be careful that when you hear these curses that come upon people for disobedience, people of covenant, that you don't think they don't apply to you when you're doing the things that bring their curses upon you. You be really careful. That's what the context is here. And that you don't say in your heart, because we know the heart's deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? And so we don't let our heart deceive us through sin and false beliefs and how sin hardens our heart and all these things. So we come to a place, contextually for them, that we bless ourselves saying, like, it's all good. See, there's another passage in the Old Testament that says, because I didn't act upon your sin and deal with it right away, you thought to yourself that I'm just like you, that somehow maybe I condoned it, but we should never confuse God's patience or his mercy for his approval of things that are clearly sinful and immoral according to his revealed word, period. And that's what this warning is. It's a warning about the people of covenant blessing themselves while they're justifying sin, living in sin, or as it even says in Romans, those who not only do those things, but approve of those who do those things. That's a very dangerous verse to put with this one in the church age. You who teach the law, do you uh, condemn yourself by what you prove, and do you teach what you, do you do what you teach? Romans 1 and 2 tells us. And to have a false peace following the dictates of a deceived heart while being a person of covenant. There are a lot of people in this country who go to church and they go to churches that say the name of Jesus and they sing some of the songs we sing and they do not believe what you and I believe and they do not believe this Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And they deceive themselves, they bless themselves, 
and they deceive themselves in their own heart according to the dictates of their heart. And what God says here concerning these people in this covenant, which is totally applicable to the church as well, is this danger that we think is somehow that God doesn't make a distinction between a drunkard and a sober person. And he most certainly does. If you've ever been at a party or at a, a wedding reception, like I was Saturday night, you can identify pretty quickly people who are sober and people who've been drinking. There is a distinction. More often than not, on the dance floor, too. There is a distinction. We know that. And God is saying to his people, you be really careful that you don't deceive yourself with your sin by what you do and what you approve others doing. And you say in the dictation of your heart, I have peace, it's all good. This is the way it is in 2021. Just don't, don't deceive yourself with that. That's what God is saying. As if the drunkard who goes to church is the same as the sober person who goes to church. Two completely different lives because we're told in 1 Thessalonians, we read this just a couple weeks ago, chapter 5, that those who are drunk walk in darkness, but those who have the light are sober and walk in the day, using that figurative language. And How many people are self-deceived going to church in any generation, in any time zone, but how many now in this remnant of this country? How many people particularly in this next generation, are going to church, saying they're saved by grace, and singing some of these songs, who are deceived by what they approve from the self-deception of the dictates of their heart and the carnality of their flesh and what they desire to do and what they approve others in doing in the name of PC and woke mob. And it's not going to be a good end for them. So we have to continue to declare the truth Line upon line, precept upon precept, word upon word, like Isaiah says. That's what we have to continue to do. That's my primary ministry. Jesus said, you let me teach my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my flock, deal with the things that are unpleasant. Teaching's, feeding's easy, tending is much harder, and feed my lambs. And that's literally what we're doing. This, I really believe that verse 19 is a, is a profound warning to the next generation of people who call themselves Christians in America and approve things that are immoral that God hates because he hates sin and sin is always death. It always kills the soul. It kills relationships and ultimately it kills a human being. As though the drunkard could be included with the sober. When we come here to this place to worship Jesus and to build up one another and receive of his word, I can only hope and pray that we truly would be sober people. And I'm not talking so much alcohol versus non-alcohol. I'm talking about sober of mind, sober of the things of the spirit, sober of the kingdom, to discern the times and seasons. Like Jesus said, you can tell what it's going to do with the sunrise and the sunset. You can discern the sky, but you cannot discern the times. We need to discern the times, and I think most of us here do. And we're not against anybody. We're, we're for people. We're for a healthy, holy church that's set apart, where people can discern the difference between the drunkard and the sober as if the two are one and the same in Jesus' name. They are not. We cannot be swept away by the delusion of the masses. We must let the word of God guide and direct us in all things. And we must, above all else, not be self-deceived because the great mark of the end game is deception. 
in all the end time passages of Jesus speaking in the gospels and in the epistles. It's always let no one deceive you. See that you're not deceived. It's the first warning about everything preceding the return of Jesus Christ. Deception, deception, deception. And the greatest deception comes from our own heart that deceives us by what we do and what we approve. We must be very careful to be razor sharp like Navy SEALs in a war zone for Jesus. Razor sharp, totally alert, proactive in the faith and what God's doing in our life. We read on in verse 20. The, the Lord would not spare him, that person who would think that God is like that, that is a distinction between the drunkard and the sober. For then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven and the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues of that land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on it, come on, the whole land is a brimstone, salt and burning is not sown nor does it bear nor does any grass grow there like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah Adma and Zeboam, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does, the, what does the heat of this great anger mean? Then the people would say, because they've forsaken the covenant of the Lord, their God, and their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is to this day. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So this latter part of chapter 29 there's a consequence of that man being blotted out, which speaks more than enough for itself. The comparison of the actual historical judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah for the sins that they had, we're told in the New Testament that what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins, sexual immorality, homosexuality, probably bestiality and other things based upon what the people in the land were doing when the Jews came into the land in the book of Joshua, they were judged. It was, you know, judgment's interesting because Jesus on the cross is the wrath of God revealed. God's wrath for our sins are on Jesus. So if you want to know judgment for our sins, when you receive Christ, we're, we're, he's in our place. And then we're told that there's wrath and judgment for all eternity, judgment and grace. Perfect love has perfect justice, so there is wrath. And we're told in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God's revealed against all, all ungodly men who suppress the truth and ungodliness. And then the whole chapter goes from there. And it's the same things we see in our culture right now. It's the same thing that Paul saw in his culture in the New Testament, in the Greek-Roman world. And it's the same thing that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the thing about Sodom and Gomorrah is it's wrath. It's actual wrath in time, space, and matter, as we're going to see in the book of Joshua. It's actual judgment in time, space, and matter. Because we think of judgment either Jesus on the cross or somewhere in the future when we step into eternity. But there is records of history in human history where God has wrath revealed in time, space, and matter against certain people at certain times for a certain reason to teach us. And we're told in Jude and Peter that the wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah is a warning to the church to never be like that. It's a warning. So don't discount the warning in your hearts and in your minds and in your world philosophy and your worldviews. No matter how cunning and crafty the devil pours it on in our world and our society right now. The Lord overthrew them in his anger and his wrath. 
Sin destroys and sin brings death. And Satan is the father of lies. And he's proliferating lies as the father of lies all around us. And they can't unsettle us. And they sure as goodness in Jesus' name cannot move us. So the secret things belong to the Lord. There's things we, have, we don't understand, we don't have any control over. We did a whole study on this Saturday night. There's just things that, why is there injustice in court? Why do good people suffer? Why do bad people prosper? There's so many things we don't understand. But as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's thoughts and ways above us. And that's just the way it is sometimes. Why does it go that way? How do evil people arise and proliferate evil with all the power that they do? Why does God allow it? I don't know. When I come when I don't know, I fall back on what I do know, and that God is good, and he has a plan for my life, he has a plan for your life, and he has a plan for us to be fruitful no matter what's going on with evil people around us. And that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, being conformed to the expressed image of his son, Jesus Christ. So for us, in Jesus' name, taking the application of this verse 29, it's easy to remember, 29, 29, is that, yeah, there's some things we're never going to get, but what we do get is what we need to get. I've been saying this for years. When everyone comes up with an obscure verse and wants to like kind of break it down or go into deep ivory tower thinking about it, I just tell them, you know what? I got my hands full of the Ten Commandments. I've got a, I got a lifetime to figure out day by day just living out the Ten Commandments. So you can figure out what you think that verse means in Job chapter 33 or something. But I, I, right now for me, the Ten Commandments keeps me right on point with just how to be at peace with the Lord and my neighbor. The things that are revealed belong to us. We're not going to be measured by what our neighbor does or doesn't do. We're going to be measured before the Lord by what we did or didn't do based upon his word, and did we grow and go forward. And we all here, we're here on Tuesday night, so I think it's safe to say we all want to grow and go forward. So let's grow and go forward. Let God be God, and let disciples of Christ be disciples of Christ. The things, the secret things belong to the Lord. I, there's so much that's gone on in the last two years. I thought a lot went on before the last two years I didn't understand in my life. Forget everything before the age of 58. For me, the last two years, 59 and 60 years on the planet, they just make everything else seem like nothing. And like, what does it all mean? And how's it, how do we get here? Where's it going to go? You know what? I'm just trying to stay in the moment just like you. The secret things belong to the Lord. The things that reveal belong to us and to our children. And the things that are revealed are in his word. So we just let God speak from his word. And as Pastor Chuck used to say, there's a great simplicity in God's word. By and large, God's word says what it means, it means what it says. I mean, that is the vast majority of the Bible. And if we just simply believe it, in all of its truth, we'll be just fine. No matter what comes between now and eternity for us, because most of us here tonight, not all of us, but most of us are over 30. Many of us are over 50. And keep doing good works in Jesus' name, preparing the next generation. We'll let God deal with the secret things, what evil people plot and do. But we will obey the word of the Lord, because that's our lane, and that's our kuleana, as they say in Hawaii, our plot of land to plow, and that's what we're going to give an account for. Chapter 30. Now, 
it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, and according to all that I have commanded you today, you and your children with the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers had possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecute you, and you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all of his commandments as I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What a wonderful promise for them concerning God's restoration heart. God's desire is to always see restoration and reconciliation and renewal and revival in these things. But there is a self-determination for individuals, families and communities and nations that allow or do not allow these things to happen. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, he wouldn't pronounce blessings on nations who seek the Lord and curses on nations who don't. So there's obviously national accountability because God gives it in his word. So it starts with an individual, their heart with the Lord, their marriage, if they're married, their home, their family, their generations above and beneath, then their community, their tribe, and then to the nations in their timeline. And this is wonderful because this reminds us that if people are willing to repent, God is more than willing to restore. It's like he said through Ezekiel when they're under great judgment, the very fulfillment of many of these things we've been reading in Deuteronomy, which we'll read in the Song of Curses next week. But in the book of Ezekiel, God said, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? I, I do not. I take pleasure that they would turn from their sins and be restored to me. Now, men and women and governments might take pleasure in the death of the wicked. They often take pleasure in the death of the righteous when they're wicked. But God takes no pleasure in either the death of the righteous or the wicked. Although the death of the righteous is a beautiful thing in his sight. Just think of Stephen in the book of Acts. I mean... The whole Bible, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And when Stephen's being martyred, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. Like, you know when you stand? We're at a wedding. Hannah came in. What did we all do? We stood. The bride was coming in. Jennifer, when you came in, everyone stood to your wedding last month, two months ago. It's like, wow, it's, it's the main event. Jesus stood for Stephen. And Stephen is not only a martyr, he's the first Christian on record dying in the, the New Testament. He says, I see the Lord, and he's standing at the right hand of the Father. I believe personally God's going to stand for us when we step into eternity as his children. I believe he's going to give us, he's going to stand for us. He might just stand for us. He might even give you a standing ovation. Wouldn't that be beautiful? So great a cloud of witnesses. So we want to keep 
doing the right thing. We want to stand in the gap, as it says in Ezekiel. I looked for someone to stand in the gap, and I found no one. So we want to stand in the gap. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes pleasure in the repentance. So we know that God wants to see people repenting and restored. And he knows that we can be, and we know that we can be vessels of restoration and reconciliation. Unfortunately, when you're, not unfortunately, um, a reality of when you're a vessel of restoration and renewal for other people, people that don't want to be renewed or re- made right with the Lord, they obviously, like John the Baptist, calling out Herod the Tetrarch, this is how you get right. He didn't want to get right, and he doesn't like the voice of John the Baptist, and ultimately his wife, Herodias, didn't like the voice of John the Baptist, and so he's beheaded. So, I mean, the first death in the Bible is the death of the righteous, righteous Abel, who offered up a more excellent sacrifice and was executed by his wicked brother Cain. But until it's done, God wants to see people restored to him. We can never give up on anyone as long as they're alive. And you hear that from me a lot. I've just, had too, I've just received too many letters and emails from people who've murdered people, killed babies, all kinds of stuff, just, you know, uh, pedophiles, all, all kinds of the hor- most horrible things that human beings do to one another. And I've just had so many people in 30-plus years of ministry ask me, do you think God can truly forgive me and restore me? And I say emphatically, Yes. Who would say no? To, to miss one part of the law is to miss all the laws. So you can be the nicest person on planet Earth, but you're still a sinner, and you came one flag short. As I talk about Timmy's flags, his test at Naval at the Cal Maritime, you had to have perfection. There's like 50 sea flags, and they use them. And now I'm reading about the dreadnoughts in World War I. They use the flags as signal. All the flags have a meaning. And if you're going to be a transportation major from Cal State Maritime, and you're going to drive ships, big ships, small ships. You need to know what every flag means. And so that first semester, you have to get all 50 flags right. You have to have them completely memorized. Also, sea knots as well. But the flags, there's no room for error. You have to have them all right. It's a pass-fail. And if you fail, you're a year behind on that major. It's a very specific, deliberate major. You're a year behind. So everyone knows, no matter what else you do, if you're a nitwit at Cal Maritime, you better figure out those 50 flags. Because if you miss those flags, you're a whole cycle behind. It's pass-fail upon perfection. So when we think about God forgiving people and restoring them to himself, you might think, and I might think, hey, I did pretty good with the flags. I mean, there's 50 of them. I mean, 48's a pretty good ratio. I got 48. Like, that's an A on anyone. That's a, you know, a 94 or 92, whatever. I mean, I didn't see too many of those, but that's what that is. That's an A. 48 to 50 is pretty good. 49 is even better, but no one gets 50 if it's the perfect righteousness of God and the sinfulness of men. So we all got to be saved. We all failed, and we all don't know all the flags. We come one flag short at the very least. Some, some people come 50 flags short because they didn't even try. So you're standing next to someone, and you're a really good person, and you've tried to do the right thing your whole life, and you've got 49 flags. You're still one flag short. You're saved by grace. And that person next to you, they've destroyed their life. They've taken life. They've been very evil. It's hard to understand they're evil. They may never be allowed in society because they're that evil, and they shouldn't be. The heart of God is to forgive the great equities of purity and perseverance through trials and forgiving others. God has a heart to forgive. I love that verse right here where it says, it's verse 9, For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as you rejoice over your fathers, over your We want the Lord to again rejoice over people who are in sin and alienated from God, especially if they used to go to church and confess Christ. 
Think of my sister homeless on the streets all those years out of her mind. And now she's blessed with the same mind, involved in the church at Vero Beach, a great job, loves her life, has her dog, has her cat. Sent me a video of an armadillo in her backyard today. She's chasing a little armadillo. I'm like, so, Florida? You can feel the humidity in the video. It's like 100% humidity in late June. She was homeless on the streets four years ago, cursing at stoplights out of her mind. At one time, she led women's groups in the late 80s for North Coast Calvary Chapel. Isn't it nice that the Lord will again rejoice over her for good and rejoice over her? We, for all the frustration that sinful people cause people who are trying to walk strong, we can never forget that God wants to forgive them and bring them back to a good place with him. Most of you understand that really well. I've watched many of you forgive very graciously other people. Verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart that you may do it. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in to possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to Jacob to give them. Uh, this is a wonderful passage. It's a climatic verse. It's a, it's a climatic mountain in the book of Deuteronomy, verses 11 uh, through this back end here through 20. It's just, it's climatic. Moses saying, you need to cling to the Lord. It's kind of like John 15 where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. And that's what Moses is saying here. He is your life. He is your length of days. He's everything. And I encourage you to choose life, not death. And we want to choose life. Obedience is always life. The spirit of God is life. The word of God is life. Jesus is life. Loving others is life. Forgiving is life. Persevering through trials is life. Praying for your enemies is life. We choose life. Abundant life. Eternal life. The life of Christ. That's what we choose. Now, there is a New Testament usage of this passage with verses 11 through 14 where it says the word is very near to you. Paul the Apostle quotes this passage, being led by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 10, where, where we read, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. With the mouth one makes confession, with the heart one believes. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's set up with this very passage. This text we just read is quoted by the Holy Spirit through Paul the Apostle. And the context is, listen, this is important, because we have to have a little theology I'm more like application. I got a little bit of theology for you tonight. Because we're told in Romans chapter 10, the righteousness of faith is revealed here. 
not righteousness of the law. And that's the interesting because this is the law. Like, this is the law of God to do it. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit takes this passage and says, it takes a passage that is attributed to the law for Israel in the Old Testament, and it says, after just saying that Israel can't be saved by keeping the law, that's the context of Romans, it takes this very passage and says, when the law quotes in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that the word is near to you, right there, that word is a word that doesn't save you by works. It's a word that saves you by believing. That you believe what God says about himself. You believe his promises, and that's how you're saved. Because they're always saved by faith. We're saved by faith from, Ab- from Adam to Abel all the way to the last chapter of Revelation. So I find it very interesting that this, this passage, yet again, one of those 80 passages of Deuteronomy in the New Testament, this passage, that the word is near to you, it's in your very heart. So they had the word, they heard the word, and it was right there. So as they would have heard the word, it would point them to Jesus, and he'd be saved by faith. Because what did Paul do in the book of Acts? He went out to the synagogues, and he took Old Testament passages that revealed Jesus, he declared them, and people got saved in the synagogue. It's also what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. We are his witnesses. That's what he did. So in understanding, really, because Jesus said, I fulfill the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, this passage is pulled from the Old Testament, deposited in the New Testament, and says, that word that's close to your heart isn't a word to be saved by good works. It's a word that's to declare righteousness to be saved, to have, uh, saved by faith with righteousness, uh, righteousness by faith. Therefore, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. For with the mouth one makes confession, and with the heart one believes. So here, later on in the book of Acts, with the Philippian jailer, he says to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There it is. So this is the gospel. Like an acorn before it's a big oak tree. This is the gospel. Right here. Like a rosebud before it blossomed. This verse blossoms in the New Testament and tells us, this is why people go forward at a Billy Graham crusade with Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody, Greg Laurie in the new stadium in August. This, it comes from here. That public confession, it comes from here. And that's good to know. Just love Deuteronomy. Chapter 31, here we go. We're going to plow this chapter. It's moving toward curses, kind of like the last chapter last week. Verse, chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord had said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in their land, when he destroys them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he's the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you, and he will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And it's all I can do not to teach this for application Saturday night, but I have to wait. I've got to leave myself some treasures for the book of Joshua. 
But I just love these passages because they're here and then they're in Joshua. And even Danny prophetically prayed earlier about not being afraid, but being courageous. He literally spoke that during his prayer. I love when Danny prays, by the way, because that's when he's prophesying. He's prophesying with the songs, but he's really, if you never think to pay attention when Danny's praying, you should. Because he's prophesying when he's praying. That's why I never, I don't know if Danny's going to do worship for 20 minutes or 35 minutes. Because, you know, he's, he's, he's going to lead worship. He's going to lead us in the presence. Then he's going to speak prophetically for the Lord. Who wants to hurry that up? I certainly don't. Whatever's there when I get up is there when I get up. And none of us are in a hurry anyways because we're here on a Tuesday night. But he prayed prophetically about being courageous. And it's in the text. He also prayed about sin too. And being coming back from sin, which we discovered. So on this courageous, let's just say this. Man, can you imagine Joshua? Moses was a giant. I mean, he walked in the room, the room tilted. Like he tilted the room. Like he just, Moses walks in the room, it's like, it all goes to Moses. It's Moses. And Joshua's a, he's, he did some incredible things. And he's going to do more amazing things. But like, how do you follow Moses? Somebody has to. It's always hard to follow someone great. It really is. Some do well, some don't do so well. Joshua did really good. If you ever have to follow someone great, can I just say to you, obey the word of God. (laughs) How can you go wrong? Not to depart from the right or to the left, but just to obey it. And to be courageous. Courage is in the absence of fear. It's just, it's like controlling it and tempering it and managing it. And God is our confidence strong and courageous. See, if we're strong and courageous based upon who we are and what we can do, that's trouble. But if in our weakness his strength is perfected, our strength and courage is based upon who he is and and what he's doing. I mean, David said it best when he took on Goliath. You come at me in the name of your gods, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. For the battle is the Lord's. And all the battles we ever fight in God's will and obedience to the Lord, they are the Lord's battles. They're not our battles. And we need to keep giving them to the Lord. Amen? Amen. We read on. So Moses, verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacle, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men, women, little ones, strangers who is within your gates, that they may hear they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you crossed the Jordan to possess. The word of God is for everybody. It's everybody. From the youngest to the oldest, it's everybody. The gospel, well, Jesus said in Mark, preach this gospel to every creature. It's for everybody. He said in Matthew, go to all nations, and it's for everybody. Verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. So that's that presence of the Lord. Verse 16. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they've done, and that they've turned to other gods. Now therefore, write down this song for yourselves, and teach to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness. For it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I had brought them to the land which I swore to give them. Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day, taught to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, put it beside the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I'm with you, yet alive with you, and you've been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt, for I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I've commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of the song until they were ended. So when we come back next week in chapter 32, we'll start with this song of Moses, which obviously is very important. It's a whole chapter in the Bible. It's a whole chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. But something that gets my attention as I look at this last part of the chapter, one final thought for tonight, is this warning in verse 20. When I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they've eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them. There is something about... Now, there's godliness with contentment that's great gain. Some people are perpetually happy and joyful with very little. Godliness with contentment is great gain. They do wonderful, by the way, with Alzheimer's and dementia, too, in most cases, like my dad. They're just pretty happy, pretty simple. It's a sunny day. So it's, it's, it's a good day. You are who you are. And you can find people that are never like that, and you go into uh, memory care, and you'll see what you get. They're angry at everybody, and they're, they're, they're yawning at people about not getting ripped off buying a car, and they're 93, and it's something that's in their database. that they It's crazy. You are what you are. And some people have the ability to be very at peace and joyful and content with very little, because the Lord is their fulfillment. He truly is their daily bread. That's the idea in the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll see as we get there in Matthew on Saturdays, that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. The food, the clothing. And some people are very content with food and clothing. Some people are never content, no matter how much you give them. They're like Rockefeller. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. 
And for the world to do what the world does, the world's going to do what the world does. But for the body of Christ, again, I think it's really important because these are the people of covenant. And there's a warning about when, when it's all kind of gone your way, you know, like when, you, when, you, when you've gotten everything you want to eat and you're filled and it's, it seems like secure and you've grown fat, like spiritually, like it's just like it's all running itself. Like that's a dangerous place to be because we're to walk by faith. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. We live by faith, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So it's always dangerous when someone professes to be a Christian and a follower of Christ, when they can control and manufacture and manipulate their life to be lived in religion devoid of relationship and faith. So we have afflictions. We have identity theft. We have trials. We have illnesses. We have physical pain. What gets your attention with the Lord more than physical pain? I don't know. In my life, in 60 years, my vertigo, six years ago, and my back two years ago. (laughs) Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Severe pain. But, you know, if someone's trying to steal all your wealth, they they steal your identity, they steal your checks, all your credit cards, which we went through even just a month ago, let me tell you, it gets your attention. Your devotion's a little sharper. Uh, It's a lot sharper. Oh, Lord, they're stealing your money. Well, that's funny because like the day before, it was your money. But when they're stealing, it's my money? You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I got this, Lord. I got this, Lord. Yeah, this is good. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. And someone says, hey, Lord, they're stealing your money. Well, if they're stealing my money, then I should be in charge of all the money, not just some of the money. Yeah. There's a danger in prosperity. There's a danger in cruise control. So I don't think that's a real big problem for us right now based upon what's going on in our world and our country and everything around us and our economy and all the uncertainty hanging over our heads. I think the last year has taught us, man, we better, like we saw earlier, that he's our life and length of days. We need to cling to the Lord. And there's a danger. So things that make us cling to the Lord and have that eternal perspective are good things. Because there's nothing more dangerous for a follower of Jesus Christ to eat eat and be full and to grow fat in that sense of the context. That's the word used there. And just to turn to other gods and serve them. Just become lazy in the faith. You're here on Tuesday night. I don't think you're probably lazy in the faith. You just got to always be aware of that danger. We're never going to cruise. We're pilgrims. And it's game on until the game's over.